I want to tell you the story uh, of a man of extraordinary misfortune. His name was uh, Freno Salek. This is him. In 1962, uh, Freno was traveling by train from Sarajevo in what was then Yugoslavia to Dubrovnik. His train jumped the tracks, careened into an icy river, drowning 17 of his fellow passengers, and he received a broken arm and hypothermia. A year later, on his first and only airplane flight, the plane he was traveling in crashed. It went down, killing 19 people. Incredibly, Freno was sucked out of the plane, out of a malfunctioning door, and landed unharmed in a haystack. Later, Freno was on a bus that skidded off the road into another icy river. His misfortune did not end with the train, plane, and bus. Two of his cars he was driving caught on fire, one time burning off all his hair. He was hit by a bus, and in 1996, swerving to avoid an oncoming truck, his car barreled off the road. He leapt free at the last second as his car plunged 300 feet off a cliff. The only truly fortunate thing that ever happened to him, and this is almost comical, is that in his older uh, life, he bought a lottery ticket and won a million (laughs) dollars. However, the reason why he bought the lottery ticket is he was celebrating his fifth marriage. Some people call Freno the luckiest man that's ever lived. I would say he was one of the most miserable men that ever lived. Misery was not far from him. So I wonder how many of us feel the same way. You may not have uh, crashed in a plane or had your bus crash or your hair caught on fire, but you may be in the middle of a struggle yourself or maybe it's a long-lasting struggle. Maybe you've had many seasons of despair. Maybe you have a catalog of suffering. Misery presents a real problem for people of faith. In my, one of my favorite books that I read a couple of, at least once a year, Brennan Manning in his book Ruthless Trust says this, the ubiquitous or universal presence of pain and suffering, unwanted, apparently undeserved, and not easily explained, amenable to explanation, poses an enormous obstacle to unfailing trust in the infinite goodness of God. So today, let's take on this um, enormous difficulty. We take on the topic of what faith might look like in the midst of misery by looking back at someone in our spiritual family tree, a person who I believe is one of the most miserable people in all of the story of God, and that's Hagar. We're going to read her story in Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 1. So if you grab a Bible here in the auditorium or find a Bible It's over on the bookshelf at your house. 
those of you watching online, follow along with me. I'm glad we could join together, those of us online and those who are uh, here live. I don't know if my grandson Henry is watching right now, but hi, bud. Um, Papa says hi, hope to see you later. Uh, Genesis chapter 16, verse one, let's read the story of one of the most miserable people ever. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. Let me stop and say we're picking up where Tim left off last week because he talked about Abraham, right? Um, So Sarah, this is Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children, but she had an Egyptian. Now, our Bibles here say servant. That's a bad translation. It is slave. She was a slave. Sarah had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children, so go and sleep with my servant, my slave. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can have children through her. Mm. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abraham's wife, or Sarai, Abram's wife, same people, took Hagar, the Egyptian slave, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abraham had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarah with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abraham, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, look, she's treating me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. Now, that's a rhetorical statement. She knew she was blaming Abraham for this. Abraham replied, look, she's your slave. Deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Wow. So let's take a moment and chronicle, let's bullet point Uh, Hagar's misery. First of all, she was a slave. Now, based on the, uh, the story we heard last week from Tim about how Abraham and Sarah ended up in Egypt and Abraham was concerned because Sarah was so beautiful and, and so he lies to Pharaoh and says, well, this is not my wife. This is my sister. Yes, she's beautiful. This is my sister. And Pharaoh starts to make advances on Abraham and finally realizes this is not your sister. This is your wife. And Pharaoh is just furious and kicks Abraham. They get out and then to maybe assuage his guilt for what he did, he gives Abraham, and we, you can read it, uh, and I think it's in 13, uh, you can, here, take these camels, take these uh, cattle, and here's a few slaves, men and women slaves. I believe that Hagar was one of those slaves that was given to them by Pharaoh. Uh, so she was not living with the Abrahams out of love or hire. She didn't want to be there. Now, secondly, Hagar had to succumb to sexual relations with Abraham. Now, this is bizarre, but in that day, when a matriarch of the family was not able to conceive a child, she would find someone else to carry a child of her husband, and then she would take that child and and call that child her own, and the husband would have an heir. Uh, And that may have been socially acceptable in the ancient world. It's still monstrous. Come on. It's monstrous what she did to take a woman who didn't want to, and I'm assuming that it was not because 
Hagar wanted to do this. As a result, Hagar had to face an unwanted pregnancy or a pregnancy, at the very least, of a child that would not be her own, which led to her despising Sarah and I believe led to deeply emotional injury and scars. One of the interesting things about the scripture is we get these stories, well, this happened and then this happened and this happened. We never see between the lines of all the emotional turmoil that would have been happening in each one of their lives as they were uh, devastated by this dumpster fire of a family they were a part of. So it was, it was an absolute mess. So, so far, Hagar, Hagar has a, had a rather miserable life and I want to tell you it gets worse. Um, Sarah, controlling, narcissistic, threatens her husband, says, this is your fault, you caused all this, you can, see him throw, you can almost see him throwing his hands in the air and saying, look, she's your slave, do whatever you want. And then what the scripture says uh, here in our translation is Hagar is then treated harshly. That is a bad translation. The Hebrew word means she was humiliated. She was defiled. She was abused. And it's so bad that Hagar, remember she's a slave, becomes an escaped slave, she becomes a fugitive, she runs away. So the bottom line is, our introduction to Hagar is nothing but misery. But what happens to her when she runs away uh, is extremely unusual. So let's read what happens starting in verse seven. So she's run away, she's pregnant, she runs away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the desert or the wilderness along the road to Shur. Uh, Side note, the road to Shur was the road back to Egypt, so she was heading home. The angel said to her in verse eight, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Well, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. Verse nine, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. It makes me shake my head. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Oh, and by the way, this son of yours will be a wild man. As untamed as a wild donkey, he will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Jeez. There is absolutely no, and she lived happily ever after. Or there is, yes, God shows up, but he doesn't show up to make all her misery go away. There is, watch this, there is no resolution. In other, resolution was when the misery you're in ends. And you can go, that's over. There is no resolution. Number two, there's no redemption, meaning out of this misery, something good comes out of it. I mean, my word, her son, even when she has the son, he becomes a jerk himself. He doesn't like anybody, nobody likes him. And there is, so there's no resolution to her story, there's no redemption to her story, and there's certainly no reason. There's no explanation of why you went through this. Those are the three things that people of faith commonly hold out for when we face misery. 
When you're in misery or in pain or struggle, number one, you hope your pain will be resolved. My misery will end. Right? Number two, when you're in misery, pain, or struggle, you hope at least that your struggle will be redeemed. I'm hoping something good will come out of this. And third, at the very least, you hope that there's some reason that I'll get an explanation. Resolution, redemption, reason. Hagar gets none of the above. As a matter of fact, the angel says, this is what I shake my head over. Go back and submit to Sarah. The word submit, the Hebrew word, is the same word for misery. Go back and submit yourself to misery under her. And by the way, this unwanted child will be hated by everyone and he'll hate everyone in return. Side note, Ishmael's considered by many traditions uh, as the father of all Arabs and the ancestor to the prophet Muhammad. So what we see in Hagar's story is misery upon misery upon misery. But there is a twist to the story. Verse 13, I want you to see the twist. Thereafter, Hagar used used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. Lahai Roy. It literally means you are the living one who sees me. She also said, asked herself this question, have I truly seen that this really happened to me? that I, I saw the one who sees me? Mm. So from there on, that, then that point on, that well that she was by was named Beer. Beer means well. Beer Lahai Roy, the well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abraham, Abraham a son. Abraham named him Ishmael, and Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. <clears throat> Lahai Roy, the living one who sees me. You know, we're looking at the storyline, our storyline, and looking at some of the ancestors of our faith. And sometimes in the storyline, you'll see this, even this summer, we see members of our family tree who have very different outcomes than Hagar. Some of our spiritual ancestors show us triumphant, triumphant stories of courageous faith that yes, there was misery, but the courageous faith through their misery and it leads to massive redemption. Esther, for instance. Some spiritual ancestors show us patient faith through misery that waits for and finally is given a reason. Hang on, you'll see the reason. Mary, for instance. And some spiritual ancestors show us faith through misery that endures. They just hang on and hang on and, they, and it finally resolves even though they don't really get the real good. Job, for instance. At least his misery resolved. Again, Hagar, none of the above. No redemption, no resolution, no reason. But Hagar in the middle of her misery has an experience of the presence of God. 
So may I suggest this? When your misery seems to have no resolution or reason or redemption, perhaps it's enough to know that God sees you. Brendan Manning reflected on that and and said a fleeting, incomplete glimpse of God, the obscure yet real, penetrating and transforming experience of his incomparable glory somehow awakens a dormant trust when you realize that something is afoot in the universe. I think he was describing what happened to Hagar. She didn't get everything she really longed for, but what she got was a real, penetrating, transforming experience. That's why she said, this really happened to me? Did I really have a a brush with the God who sees me? And we don't, this doesn't really play out much, but I'm going to guess that Manning was right. I think it awakened a dormant trust in Hagar somehow. Hagar says to God, you see me, I'm not alone, I'm not unloved, I'm not unknown, you see me. When your misery seems to have no resolution or reason or redemption, perhaps it's enough to know that God sees you. Now, I want to take a few moments, and just, in just a couple, a couple of minutes, I'll come back to this, and let's talk about you and me, us. Let's, let's process this. And I'm going to give you a bit of an experience where you can actually ask the question to God that Hagar asked of herself, did I really experience God here? But before we do, there is a, um, an afterword to Hagar's story. And unfortunately, her <laughs> misery's not over. Turn to chapter 21 of Genesis 21. So uh, what happens is she returns to Abraham and Sarah. She gives birth to this wild donkey of a child. What a nice thing to say about somebody's child. (laughs) Wild donkey of a child. And some of you are going, I know. I know all about that. But at any rate, um, Sarah is uh, Abraham's wife, finally able to conceive. She has her baby named Isaac. But apparently the hatred was never resolved between her and Hagar. It continues. So look at verse 8. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah looks over and sees Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egypt, Egyptian servant, slave, Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. I don't know, there's a debate on how old Ishmael, with the, there are some people who think he was just a toddler himself or, or five or six or seven years old. Some people think he was in his early teens, but somehow he's picking on the little, little Isaac and making fun of him somehow. And this infuriates uh, Sarah. And so she says, look at verse 10, she turns to Abraham and demands, get rid of that slave woman and her son. 
He is not going to share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. She was a delightful person, Sarah, wasn't she? She was just a delightful person. Well, verse 11, this upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. Come on, this is my son. Yeah, wild donkey, but he's my wild donkey. Verse 12, but God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he's your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, packed a couple of sandwiches and a bottle of Gatorade, strapped them onto Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with her son and she wandered aimlessly in the desert, the wilderness of Beersheba. Hmm, nice, Abraham. Give her a picnic and some water and send her off in the desert. To what? Likely die. This next part of the story is, is hard to read, and as a grandpa and as a dad, it just breaks me up when I think about it. In short order, it doesn't surprise us that Hagar and Ishmael begin to die of thirst. Verse 15. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. She can't even handle this, so she puts him in the shade of the one bush she finds, and she goes away um, sat down by herself about 100 yards away saying, I cannot watch this boy die. And she bursts into tears. But God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to come to him and comfort him for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container, gave the boy a drink, and God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of of Egypt. Okay, so maybe a small portion of resolution, but certainly not enough resolution to make up for the avalanche of misery that she had experienced in her life. But I want you to note again what transpires in this deadly moment, what transpires between Hagar and God. Do you remember what happened with the first moment between her and God, she says, God, what? Saw me. Here, God hears me. God heard the boy. The angel said, God has heard him crying. Story part one, God has seen me. Story part two, God has heard me. When your misery seems to have no resolution or res- or reason or redemption, perhaps it is enough to know that God sees you and he hears you. For 42 years of my life, as a pastor, I sat with people in their most miserable moments. It's been interesting, over the last two years, and a I know the subscript says I'm retired. I'm retired from pastoring. I'm not retired. But over the last two years, as I've processed the 42 years of pastoring, I've I've had flashbacks, not like psychological flashbacks, but flashbacks where I have found myself 
sitting in that moment and holding in my arms that family member whose loved one just took their own life. And I was, saw myself in the emergency room as a life was ebbing away from an accident. And I found myself doing, the, I mean, I could, there was a time, there, there were some dark times in the last two years and they still keep, I, side note, there's also like great memories too and baptisms and life change and salvation and wondrous and babies being born and beautiful things, all those wonderful things too. But you know, the things that stick with me are the miserable people that I have sat with and processed. I mean, there, I've sat with too many people where I knew and they knew there was no resolution on the horizon. Too many of those. And I can tell you story after story of people that I sat with in their misery and as much as I wanted to help them understand a reason for it, there was no reason for it. Even though they asked me for it. Surely there's a reason for this, right? I'm like, and certainly I've, I've sat with so many people for whom there was no redemption, there was no heroic story at the end of all the suffering. Early on as a pastor, I wanted to help them see all those things. I wanted to say, there's, it's going to end. There, there's going to be a reason, you'll see it. And something good is gonna come out, come out of that, but it did not take me long. It did t- not take me long to stop saying those things, because I didn't know. So what were we left with in those? What are you left with when it doesn't appear that there's going to be resolution? I found myself simply, and this is not just for other people's misery, but my own, simply trying to remind them and myself that in the middle of their struggle, they were seen and heard. I tried, and I think this is important to do, to pull up the shade to allow the glory of God to peek into the darkness. God's enormous size and power and magnificence is described at the Hebrew word kabod. It means heavy and it also means light. And sometimes we need a little glimpse of the kabod. We need a glimpse of the light when all seems dark. See, Hagar got a glimpse of the light. And she had a pretty startling experience with the God of the universe. She realized in the middle of her misery, and maybe this will be enough for you, that in your tears and your crying and your suffering, God is in rapt attention. Maybe that'll be enough. Or that you'll realize that God is present and near and beside you and behind you. And maybe that will be enough for you to be able to to carry on. So for those of you who are experiencing misery that goes on and on and on and on, can we try something for a few moments? Look, I I hate to take you here and you probably like, I came to church this morning to escape my misery. (laughs) 
So, but can we be honest? Can we be straight up honest? Your resolution, you may not experience resolution. You know that, right? You may not find any redemption in your pain. You know that too, right? And as much as you want a reason for all this, it may not be coming. So let's, let's, would it be enough for you today? Those of you watching online, and those of you here, would it be enough to know, would it help you to know right now that God sees you and that he hears you? Perhaps that's enough. So if you want to do this, don't feel you have to do this, but if you want to, let's try something. Um, Could you close your eyes just for a minute? This is hard what I'm going to ask you to do, but can you sit in your misery for a moment and just be there in your pain and your suffering and struggle? And in your pain and your misery and your struggle, would you ask God this question? Ask him this question. Do you see me? Ask him this question. Do you hear me? And wait for his reply. What do you feel right now? What are you hearing? A fleeting, incomplete glimpse of God awakens a dormant trust. Something is afoot in your universe. And God is present. Even in your misery. He is there. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church. And the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.